Hey, beautiful human, thanks for letting us into your ears today. We're about to catch up with J.P. Sachs. He has a brand new album out. It is called Dangerous Levels of Introspection. We're going to go pretty much song by song, talk all about the collaborations, his process, his story, and more. I'm really looking forward to it. Please share this podcast with those you care about, subscribe, and let us know who you're listening to so we know who we should invite on the show next. At Zach Sang Show on any form of social media. Hello there, beautiful human. My name is Zach. That is Dan, and we welcome to the studio, JP Sack. Hey, thank you for having me. Hello, hello. I, I, you know, your energy is very light. It's very airy. It's how do you want people to perceive you when you walk into a room? Ginger Dork Canadian. That, that, <laughs> do you feel like you exude that right from the first glance? I hope so. I've been working on it for decades. Uh, what, what's Canadian about you right off the bat? What's Canadian about me? I I say toque, toque, referring to beanies. Okay. I've yet to remember that Americans don't know what a toque is. No. Um, I would say that's the most Canadian thing about me. I mean, maybe kindness, but I can't say that about myself. You have to say that. It is a little entitled if you lead with, I'm a kind person. I think it's uh, it's disqualifying. <laughs> yeah. I, do you feel like those closest would you to you would call you kind? I hope so. Would you consider me kind? Yeah. They said yes. What's the most kind thing you've done recently? Um, <laughs> what's the most kind thing I, I ordered someone a boba without them asking for it? Oh, that's nice. Because mm-hmm. whenever I'm postmating myself anything, I make sure I get it for anyone in the vicinity just in case they see mine and then feel envious of whatever I have. You know what? I should do that. But the truth is, I don't have JP Sachs money right now. But, but like, that it's is boba. the right thing. I wouldn't do it with sugar fish. Okay. <laughs> Got it. So, do it with a beverage. I just bought boba and it was $7. That's an expensive drink. It's worth it. It is. It's definitely worth it. Mm-hmm. It's nice because y- you know why it's worth it? Because you know that the people around you aren't judging you or jealous of the fact that you have a drink and you didn't offer. It's potentially done out of generosity and also potentially done out of fear of judgment, which makes it about me again. So we're right back to the narcissism of calling myself kind. Dangerous levels of introspection. I mean, we're right on theme from the jump. <laughs> that is the name of this body of work, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. It is... It, to me, sounds like a bunch of little chapters in somebody who's spending a lot of time with themselves and overanalyzing a bunch of mm-hmm. Is that what you want me to take away from it? I don't have any specific desire for you to take anything away from it. I, I hope, my hope is that it feels close enough to my experience that when you hear it, it brings you closer to some part of your own experience of being a human yeah. because... You know, these are 13 songs that come from really straight from my journals and the things that I've spent the most time thinking about over the last four years of my life. Is that when this body of work, this album, because it, it, it's it's technically your first album, right? It is my first EPs. album. Yeah, first album. So your debut album started four years ago? I think the the earliest song on this album I started writing four years ago. A lot of the songs on this album were written around the same time as I was writing the EP. Actually, the first song... On the album 430 in Toronto is where I originally wrote the lyric, If the World Was Ending, You'd Come Over, right? I wrote it for that song, but it didn't quite fit in that song. And often my next song comes at a failed attempt at finishing the previous one, which I've always thought was a little bit of a metaphor. Um, So I I held on to that line because I liked it, but I didn't think it fit emotionally in that song. And then it lived in my journal and then, you know, obviously found its way to my session with Julian Michaels and then became the song that it is now. So, yeah, there's a lot of entanglements from song to song. And the nature of writing 
purely from your own experience and from sincerity and from reality is that you don't have to work too hard to find a through line because there is through line just and it's all my perspective. Yeah, because it's you. Yeah, exactly. But so that line just sits in a in your diary journal, sorry, collecting dust, and then you whip out the journal when you go into the studio or do you, you know what you're going to bring into the, that session? Well, firstly, I think it's funny you apologize for calling it a diary. I have no issues with having a diary. <laughs> I have a diary and I will own that. Um yeah, it lived in my journal. I kind of forgot about it. And then there was an earthquake in Los Angeles in July of 2019 that reminded me of the lyric. And it just happened to be right before my session with Julia, my first session with Julia. How gr- grateful are you that that lyric didn't fit into that song? Extremely grateful. It would have been worse. Do you think if it fit into 430 in Toronto, it would never become its own thing? Yeah. I mean, I guess we would have written a different song in that session. And who knows what life would be. When you say it didn't fit into that song, were the lyrics written and it was an actual lyric in the song and then mm-hmm. you pulled it out and rewrote that lyric? Yeah. What did it become? Uh, so originally it was a different pre-chorus and a different chorus. I had the verses, the I'm home with my family, my father's having surgery, and I'm ashamed how I've been thinking more about how maybe all of this would make a good excuse to call you and say I just need emotional support. That was the first one, and I liked that. Um, and now it goes into the pre-chorus that's there and the chorus that's there. But originally it went to this thing, um, it was, uh, they say they say live each day like it's your last, but I can't do that because I know I'd be waking up beside you and we'd both still be alive. I can't do that to myself tonight. But if the world was ending, you'd come over, right? That's what it was in that song. But I didn't think it was quite as strong as the verse. Yeah. So that pre-chorus no longer, no longer exists anywhere. The, the chorus line was saved for the song it is now. And I wrote another pre-chorus for that song which I love, and it feels right, just the way it is. Both songs do. But was there a point where you thought that original piece was right? The the most central part of my process as a songwriter is first getting as intimately familiar with the emotion I'm writing about as possible. Like really holding what the part of my life feels like that I'm writing about. And that way, when I finish the song, I can compare, does this song make me feel the way the thing it's about makes me feel? Mm. And as long as they're not the same gives me anxiety and I know it's not right so the process of of finishing songs is matching those feelings up I want to get into like the fact that if the world was ending that song changes your life yeah in like a bunch of different ways yeah and adds pressure to this debut album is that fair to say I think it adds all kinds of uh I think it's a blessing for this debut album uh I think a lot more people are going to care about the debut album (laughs) because of that song (laughs) that's true (laughs) But so many people have this preconceived idea of what they want out of it. So does it, because this album started four years ago, this song blows up within the last year and a half or so, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit longer because it came out in 2019, right? Mm-hmm. So does anything change on this album after that song is introduced into the world? I guess I'd say if I had started my career with a song as big as If the World Was Ending, that wasn't exactly the kind of music I've always wanted to make, mm. then I'd be terrified. Because then I would have to make an album that felt like the thing that got really successful that wasn't quite the thing I wanted to do. Which happens all the time to people. It does. But If the World Was Ending is exactly the kind of music I want to make. And it's I love that song. And the rest of the album is very much in the world of that song. Not because I was trying to match to that song, just because that's the music I make the most naturally. So I think one of, amongst the infinite blessings that that song has brought to my life, one of them is really the the motivation to continue to make music exactly the way I want to because my first big success was with a song that I made exactly the way I wanted to. That is pretty incredible because then you, you, I mean, 
you get to keep doing what you do, right? Do you yeah. feel like people stick their hands into something that's working or do they let it go? Uh, I mean, everyone's everyone's really been a team player. And I work with a lot of people I really respect. And so, no, there, there hasn't been much pushing it in a direction other than exactly what I want to do. And I think the reason for that is because if the world was ending has set the standard for the success that we're going for, and it was this sincere, emotional, human record about the nuances of being a human. <laughs> so, you know, these these emotions that we don't often talk about but are s- somehow universal in their privacy. Um, so I think that's the rest of the album too. Can you strike that emotional chord twice on that mainstream of a level? I mean, we'll see. I think the... Uh, I think the silver lining about writing from honesty first is occasionally you stumble upon something that's more honest than just your own life. You know, when we wrote If the World Was Ending, it was eight months before the pandemic, right? So that song starts to have a life and then has another life and then has another life. But it's real in a way that we never could have anticipated. So I'm going to just keep writing about what it feels like to be me because it's the only authority I have on anything, in my opinion. I can write about... I could try and write about someone else's life, but I wouldn't really know what it feels like quite as much as I know what mine does. And then, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll we'll land upon another feeling that will uh, resonate the way that one did. Is that why you keep sessions with other artists to kind of a minimum, if that's fair to say, or very selective? I mean, I write with people I'm a fan of. If I love your music, I, I want to work with you. I think music's a team sport, so I'm I'm game for anyone that I, I love their music. Can I ask a quick question about yeah. If the World Was Ending? You said that you wrote that the first time you met Julia. Yeah. Do you think there was something special about you guys not knowing each other that led to that song? Like, if you guys tried to write that today, do you think it would happen because you know each other so much better? I don't know. It's It's hard to say. I do think that was probably the most influential day of my life. I do think it's rare that it, it's unlikely. <laughs> it's unlikely that any day will ever have quite as many impacts on my life as you know getting a Grammy nomination and a girlfriend in one day. Wow. Do you change as an artist after it? What do you learn from that song? From that session? From I mean both or all of it? To be honest, because like yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, I've always been very influenced by Julia before I even knew her. I think she's the most influential songwriter of our generation. Um, So being so close to her process, I've learned a ton from, and I really admire her as a creative. And it's, you know, that song has also opened doors for me to see a lot of people who I admire work. And I think it's this balance of, of not necessarily borrowing the way they do it, but borrowing the confidence in which they do it their own way to be confident in doing it my own way. It takes time to realize that though, right? Because some people can go into rooms and try to pull these ridiculous things from it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But that's, it's bad understanding confidence. And, but do you pick up any tangible traits, any tangible bits and pieces of things that like you didn't know one could do with a song? Yeah. I mean, I think I've always been very words first. But I would, I would try and fit words into melodies in a way that what I thought the structure of songs needed to be. Uh, and then I've worked with a bunch of people, Julia included, who just shatter those rules and they just allow the words to create the melody. So now I, like, I care less about it rhyming. I care less about the structure. I, just, I care about am I saying what I want to say and how can I make the melody really suit the emotion the of what I'm saying in the story, yeah. 
that's, I mean, like, there's a lot of artists, like, that I know right off the back of my hand, newer artists, that, like, feel like they have to be attached to that formula or that, that uh, I mean, that skeleton that they need to fill. What do you say to them? I mean, I say there's a lot to learn from that, and you should definitely write a lot of songs that fit that form, but then kind of once you have it under your, under your belt, just make something you like. I, I really think aiming for anyone else's taste is a loss because if I'm aiming for someone else's taste, I'm, I'm going to miss because I don't get, I don't really understand what anyone else loves quite as well as I understand what I love. And my taste is basic. I'm basic. And I need to remember that when I'm trying to make myself love my own music. Like, my favorite artists are Coldplay and Beyonce and her, like, massively famous people. So if I can make myself love my own music, I'm basic. It's Other people will like it, too. Who is Emily? Let's dive into the album. Sick. That's a very good question because we love Emily. She's one of my best friends. Okay, so you're sending her a message. I'm. I'm. It's that is the hype track for the heartbroken. The heartbroken being embodied in my friend Emily. Okay. <laughs> How do you? You obviously you live that story through her through what she gives to you. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> she was dr- actually driving me to the session that I wrote that song in, and she was she was <laughs> talking about an unideal version of a loving relationship. Uh, and, you know, we were we were talking about how it was possible for it not to suck, how it was possible to... to It was possible for love to get better when love wants you back. And love will always get better than a love that doesn't want you back. But it's hard to remember when you... when you, uh, you're so deep into something that is... I mean, toxic love is very romanticized in 2021... Like, yeah. very popular, <laughs> having having its moment. And so I think we trick ourselves into thinking, like, that's what it's supposed to be, but it's it's not. So I was talking about this with Emily, and she dropped me at my session, and then I kind of kept talking about it, and then out came the song. So you're talking about toxic love or this one for any sort of love, even if it's toxic? No, no, I, I'm talking about how... <laughs> and I'm talking about how she should not go back to a love that hurts her because it's in letting go of that that you leave room for a love that will not. It's true, but it's hard. People go back to what they know. I totally understand, and I think the reason that For Emily is in the place on the album that it is is it become it comes right after me talking about how bad I was at going through my own heartbreak, and the only reason I had anything to suggest to Emily is because I had messed it up every possible way. Does that order come naturally or do you place that afterwards? <laughs> like, how does that work out? I made the track listing a few hundred times. <laughs> I made the track listing so many times that you notice tracks seven, eight, nine are all connected. No, eight, nine, ten are all connected. Um, and I really wanted there to be a section of the album where it was there were interludes and it all flowed into itself. Mm. But I kept changing the track listing so many times that I would just kill interludes. So I just have a bunch of murdered interludes um, <laughs> that didn't make it from how many times I changed the track listing. But you did it for story flow. More emotional emotional flow than story flow. It's not chronological, but it is, you know, how am I teeing up myself emotionally as I get from song to song and what place am I at the end of one song to be um, receptive to the emotion that's coming next. You have to learn new things about yourself from these songs, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's talk a, a, about a little bit yours. I think it's beautiful. Thank you. So, I mean, what does it mean to not belong to somebody, but like you belong to them or they don't belong to you, but you belong to them? Break that down. Yeah, I mean, 
that is one of the last songs they wrote about that feeling. And I'm grateful the song exists because I think putting the feeling in that song was one of the final things that allowed the feeling to be out, out of me. Um, my favorite line in that song is, all I do is get over you and I'm still so bad at it. Um, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it further than that, but it just felt when that line came out, I was like, damn, that feels like the last eight months of my life. Um, and I wrote, I wrote that song five months before I met Julia. Um, and I think it was just accepting a little bit of the hopelessness of someone who had moved on from me faster than I had. Um, for whatever reason, any any myriad of reasons. I think part of it is because I sing about it so much that it's hard to let go of a feeling that you sing about every day. Um, it's beautiful to me that not long after that, there was this unexpected door open in my life that gave me joy in a way that I never could have come up with. Like, truly never could have... Like, the dude writing that song never could have envisioned what love was going to become six months from then. But that's connected to who's Emily, right? Isn't that kind of the message you're sending to her is by getting rid of this one love? Yeah. New things have the opportunity to flow right in. Exactly. And I think that applies to all different types of relationships more than just a romantic one. I think that applies to friendships and, you know, could be work relationships. Getting rid of one thing allows for an abundance of room for new stuff. I think you're absolutely right. And I think there's there's this um, there's longing when you lose any kind of love because you're used to the space that that filled yes. to replace it with something that feels like that. But the truth is nothing is ever going to fit exactly the way the love that you lost is. So as long as you're trying to fit a new love into that space, it's not going to feel right. And that's why you're going to keep trying to go back to the thing that you lost because you want it to fit. What you have to do is let the space be empty long enough that it morphs into a different kind of space, a more open space that can then wrap around mm. something new. Mm. It's true. I feel like here's hoping kind of ties into everything you're saying too. Like your hope, you thought that was your love and you're hoping it's not. Yeah. Uh, final fact about that song, uh, similarly to 430 in it, you know, it being written over a long period of time. Uh, I'd written almost all of Here's Hoping and it didn't feel quite right. And we were at the end of the album process and we were at the studio and I was playing this 12 string guitar and I started singing Here's Hoping. I had every bit of the song except... Or here's hoping I'm wrong. That was the only part I hadn't written yet. And at that time, the bridge was the chorus. So I'm playing around with the song and just kind of by accident play the bridge as the chorus, which is now the chorus. The getting over you just feels like one last way that I got left to lose you. Mm. Um, and it fit better. And then I got to the end and I was like, there needs to be one more thought. And you got at this point, I know that I was wrong but I'm entering the space I was in before I knew. So to end with here's hoping I'm wrong just felt like a little bit of a nod to what I was about to figure out. You go. I was like, how do you find that line? Do you just kind of sit there and just think what fits, what fits, or how am I feeling, how am I feeling? I think it's the train of thought. To simplify the train of thought, it's probably something like, oh, I was wrong. What would I have thought then? I guess I would have hoped I was wrong. Okay. So. <laughs> what, what stage do you bring this to John Mayer? Yeah, so I had talked to John periodically over the last year because I had heard from friends that he had liked a couple of songs I was a part of. Um, I'd heard from Lennon Stella that he liked golf on TV. I'd heard from 
um, a mutual friend that he liked if the world was ending. So I sent him a message uh, just telling him how much that meant to me because he's one of my songwriting heroes. And he just wrote back all the nicest imaginable things. It's the most encouraging things that he was ever said to me, truly. Um, not long after that, we were in the studio and kind of on a whim. I, I, I didn't expect him to say yes. I, I just told him, I was like, hey, I'm in the studio finishing up my album. I'd love to play you some of it if you want to come through. And he said, yeah. So the next day he came by the studio and he listened through the album. And one of the more surreal experiences of my life. And here's hoping resonated with him and he picked up his guitar and he played on it and now I get to have the person who've made who made a lot of the music that made me fall in love with songwriting in the first place be a part of my debut album which is it's just it's cooler than I know how to describe yeah I mean d- 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 lost for words yes yeah. it's John Mayer it's wild what's it like sitting in the studio watching him play the guitar on your song there's a cool thing that happens when you start making music where it just feels like you're making music and a lot of the the context can slip away so when we were in the studio and I'm looking at him, I was like, how did I get here? And I am freaking out. Yes, of course, me in my current state freaking out. But the 17-year-old inside of me is running around like screaming in my chest. My, my like younger self was even, even more shocked at this moment than I was. And the day in the studio was special. And then we performed the song together on Colbert, uh, just the two of us. And that, that was a whole nother level. Because I'm sitting there, I'm playing the B3 organ at the end of the song, and I'm looking at him, and he's playing a solo, and, like, we're jamming. Um, and I'm flashing back to, like, skipping class in high school to go jam with my friends on John Mayer songs. Like, I, I learned how to love songwriting in large part because of him. So, yeah, that's been cool. And it all started just from hearing that he was a fan, and you send him a DM. Like, no legitimate channels to coordinate any of this. No, I was just like, hey, I heard from Lennon that you liked golf on TV. I heard from so-and-so that you liked If the World Was Ending. I just had to tell you that that's the most special thing for me because I love you so much. It's pretty awesome when your heroes don't suck. He doesn't suck. He's so cool. <laughs> he's so kind and encouraging and wonderful, and I'm grateful that he's... he. I mean, he's been in my life for a long time, but now he's like, he knows he's in my life, so that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> You don't give him notes, right? No. Okay, got it. Of course not. <laughs> He's asked for them, and I say, no. <laughs> I will not. <laughs> Did he play you his album that's coming up? hmm Do you give him notes? <laughs> Other than I'm obsessed? No. <laughs> I told him how much I loved it and all the things I loved about it, but I had made no suggestions. <laughs> Damn. What, what part of storytelling and writing do you learn from John Mayer that you now are using for your own music i think i learned what it feels like to get punched in the face by a lyric Mm. um i remember listening to continuum feeling like lyrics like feeling feeling them hurt me um and i think just recognizing what that could be you know put me on like a, a a years years long journey of figuring out what it meant to do that with my voice what was the first lyric that you realized this this could punch somebody in the face? One of his or one of mine? Yours. Um, I think the first song I ever put out, a song called Changed, and I wrote a lot of songs before I got to Changed um, because I didn't want to put out something that I didn't love. You know, it's funny. I don't know where I don't know where this confidence came from, but at the beginning of my life in L.A., 
I was more afraid of succeeding the wrong way than I was of not succeeding at all. And I used to say that. I don't know where that, that confidence arrived, but it was it's how I felt. Or integrity or artistic integrity, right? Yeah, so I waited a long time. I, I had a lot of music I never put out because it just didn't feel like what I wanted to say yet. And also, like, I've dedicated my entire life to trying to get millions and millions of people to hear something I have to say. I mean, I better know that what I have to say, like, means something. So I didn't, I didn't want to start that, that mission until I really believed in what I was saying. So the first song I put out, I, I, I loved. The song changed. I'm trying to think what lyric in there hit the hardest. Probably the chorus that you like to tell me I've changed, like anybody really stays the same. How do you know when something is right if for so long you didn't know? It's easy to trick yourself into thinking something you've made is banging because your ego gets involved in your desire to have made something that is banging gets involved. Um, and, you know, your desire to, like, go and do all the things that go along with your music gets involved. Um, but I think for me it's about, one, I'm so hypercritical of myself that it makes it a little bit easier to to not get caught up in hype, to just listen to a song and live with it long enough to know if I want to keep listening to it after a few weeks. You know, if I make a song and three weeks later I still want to listen to it the hundredth time because I like it just for my own enjoyment, like, that says something to me. When does dangerous levels of introspection come, like, uh, show its head, you know, appear? Is it halfway through the process? Is it, Hmm. it wasn't the beginning. It was the second last song written for the album. Um, And good time to ask that question because we were just talking about being 20, 21 in Los Angeles. Uh, I was I had breakfast with a buddy of mine, one of the first producers I worked with in L.A. His name's Chris. And we were reminiscing on being kids in L.A. Uh, I, would, I was sleeping in my car for months. I would sleep outside the studio, like hoping I would get a phone call to come into work the next day. I would like I would go to open mics and try and make friends so I could sleep on their couch. Uh, I did that a lot. You know, did it I, work? Yeah. I made a lot of friends. Um, and, I, you know, I would just wander around Hollywood by myself. And it was, you know, the memory that's so romantic. At the time, it wasn't as romantic. <laughs> uh, but looking back on it, like, there was something so exciting about waking up not knowing we were going to go to sleep or who were you were going to make friends with that day. Like, the world was so open. There was so little certainty, which was terrifying, but also, you know, with lack of certainty comes the abundance of possibility. And I was just this wide-eyed, curious kid. Still am. Just have a few more things figured out. So I was talking with Chris about that. And then got to the studio. I was with Amy Allen and Greg Kirsten and was in that nostalgic feeling. And I don't remember how exactly the conversation went, but I said something to Amy along the lines of, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a level of nostalgia that allows me to feel more present in my emotional experience there's a a level of emotional analysis that makes me deeper in my life and then there's a line that i cross in which i run the risk of ruining everything just like ruining my whole life because i'm not present in anything because i'm so busy romanticizing something from the past it's a thin line it's a very fine line and in that in that conversation in that phrase said you know there's some dangerous levels of introspection in there and amy was like that's a fun thing to say and then that became the song. And then after we wrote the song, I was like, damn, I do think this potentially summarizes this entire body of work because that fine line is where this whole album exists. <laughs> it's right on it. It's right on it. You can tell and you can hear it. It's very personal. 
but in the best ways. Are you afraid that like missing the uh, not having the sheer amount of possibilities and openness in your day will affect the way you create art moving forward? Meaning like, do you, do you get what I'm saying? Like your day-to-day life is so different because so much is figured out. I think if I was trying to, if I was trying to live like I was, did when I was 21 still, I would be, I would be ruining things because there's, I mean, I'm truly living what that version of me was trying to do. Yeah. Like I have arrived at his dreams. So <laughs> if, if I arrived at my dreams and then was fantasizing about having the dreams five years ago when I was fantasizing about this life, then I'd just be in like a vicious cycle of never enjoying anything. Do your dreams level up? Yeah, they do. But I do think something I'm working on, haven't figured it out, but something I'm working on is is remaining ambitious and motivated without being dissatisfied. Because I think for a lot of my life, like my sense of ambition came from, I don't like what my life is, so I'm going to try and make it this. But I think that's not a nice feeling. Like I want to be like, no, life is tight. Like I like being me right now. This is a a lovely moment in life. But also... I want to play stadiums and I want to be at a festival somewhere like at an upright piano back to back with Chris Martin singing a medley of yellow and if the world is ending like we're going to get there and I want to fight to get there and you know maintain that ambition but I, I don't want to do it at uh, at the loss of enjoying what life looks like right now also. And by the way like it takes maturity and time to get there right because a lot of people are so focused on what's next that they lose the moment. And my, my debut album comes out in two days like <laughs> I'm going to be thinking back on this week for the rest of my life. And I want to make sure I'm uh, I'm in it as deeply as I can be. So when you were sleeping on random people's couches, <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> at what point did your life start to change? Like, what happened in your life that you finally were able to like get your own place and stopped having to rely on other people? Um, well, there was certainly no one big break moment. There was a, a very a series of very small cracks. Um, I was singing at a poetry open mic in Los Angeles called the Poetry Lounge. Melrose and Fairfax, which I highly recommend when it opens again. I love it there. Um, I was singing a cappella, and a dude named JD comes up to me and says, like, yo, I thought you were good. Can I introduce you to a friend of mine who's a producer? Um, the producer was that dude Chris I was talking about earlier. <laughs> Chris is signed to Babyface. Casual. So I'm the next day in Babyface's studio playing songs for Chris and Tony Dixon and J.Q. Smith and this crew of just songwriting legends. And they were extremely kind to me and welcoming to me and let me come back one day the next week and then two days the next week. And that was me sleeping at the side of the studio, hoping that they would invite me to come the next day. And that ended up there for like two years. And that was like my learn. That was my school. That was like my university of songwriting was there. So that helped. I got a few cuts as a songwriter, like small ones, but enough to pay my rent. Um, Lived in like a, a tiny studio apartment in Hollywood that, got flooded um, by the neighbor that is referenced in Dangerous Levels of Introspection uh, because he didn't want to do his laundry in the laundry room. He didn't want to pay the quarters, so he'd wash his clothes in the bathtub. And then every time he did it, he'd flood the bathroom, and there'd be water in the crawl space. And then I got home one day, and the entire roof of my bathroom was on the floor, and the whole place was flooded. So that was my motivator to move. But um, I didn't have good enough credit to get another place, so my mom had to <laughs> had to fly down to Los Angeles and help me find another house. By the way, that's crazy. I know that Babyface studio that you spent all that time in. I know the studio. Brandon's know- way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, that is 
very generous of them. I mean, you look back and you have to be grateful. That was extraordinarily lucky that it was them who took me in because there's a lot of there's a lot of compounds that are not nearly as well intentioned and not nearly as generous and healthy. You know, that was like a drug free, alcohol free environment also. And in a, a very unique, like very all encompassing talent pool that is very old school, but also new school. And school yeah, I learned people. a ton, all kinds of people coming in and out of that. There was actually a moment. This was like the turning point in me deciding I wanted to be an artist. Um, I was in the piano room writing uh, something for myself, a song called The Few Things, which ended up coming out. And at the time being like a turning point in my career. So I was working on the verse of that song and Chris came in and said, yo, can you come help us with this song? They're working on for Fifth Harmony. Uh, And I said, no, which was a big deal at the time because it's like, no, I will not come help you work on this massive pop group. I'm going to write my little song in here. Um, And I finished a few things because I knew there was something to it that I just I didn't want to lose the moment. And then that song was the third song I ever put out. It uh, it was the song that really changed the trajectory of my artist career time. You knew you needed to keep finishing that song. Was it something inside of you that just told you? Yeah, it just it felt like the right move. No doubt. I at in the in the moment that just I knew that I needed to follow the creative train of thought that was leading me to that song because it felt like, you know, we were talking about earlier how knowing when something feels like your own voice. And it it takes a long time. It takes a lot writing a lot of songs to get to a song that can really feel like your own voice and and the verse of that song felt like my own voice to me in a song that I liked singing. So I wanted to see it through. Do you think it was one of the first moments where you actually heard your own voice in a song? Yeah. I mean, I wrote that before Changed even came out. Um, so I, I had a few songs that were like that before I put any of them out. And I think it was, there was something really meaningful for me hearing those songs back being like, that's me. You reference songs in Line by Line that features Marin Morris that mm-hmm. you never will show anybody, but you write them just to... I guess, work through something? Is that accurate? For me, not entirely. I think that was more Marin's reality than mine. Got it. I've yet, I've yet to write a song so personal that I was afraid to share it. I mean, I definitely did that in the past, but there are songs on this album that are more personal than I'm comfortable sharing. But I do think that one of the responsibilities of, as an artist is to look our more tumultuous emotions right in the eye in order to embody them confidently in something that can allow others to do that also. Mm. Yeah, let's talk yeah. about I Shouldn't Be Here, because I feel like that's one of them. It is. it is That is one of them. Yeah, I guess I'll read the lyrics. Go for it. It says, I couldn't get it up for you the first time, like my body knew it wasn't meant in you. Did mm-hmm. I get that right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe it was just the Adderall. Mm-hmm. That's like a lyric that not many people would be confident writing and putting out. Mm-hmm. So why did you feel like you needed to? So the story of that song is uh, I use a journal app, and that journal app will send me reminders. On this day, a year ago, you wrote this. Uh, occasionally, those are nostalgic and lovely, and occasionally, there are huge emotional risks. Um, so I opened one of them about a year ago, and it was something that I had written. It said, on this day, two years ago, you wrote this. And I read the lyrics to that song. It was a poem that I had written. I had totally forgotten about it. It made me laugh. And I was like, <laughs> this, is, this is interesting. I don't remember this, but okay. Um, and then remembered the moment and what it was all written about. And later that day, I'm watching an interview with Phoebe Waller-Bridge. And 
she was talking about Fleabag and said something along the lines of, I'm going to misquote her, which is disrespectful because I love her, but the point, the gist of it was she knows that a scene needs to go into the edit if it scares her a little bit because if it scares her, that means it's the good stuff. Yeah. And I was like, oh, damn, I'm going to put that, I'm going to turn that poem into a song, aren't I? Because Phoebe Waller-Bridge told me to. So I picked up my guitar. I, I sang it, the words kind of as they were on guitar, went to the studio the next day, played it live, and that is the version of it that is on the record. So you got a notification on your phone that said, one year ago today, couldn't get it up. Yeah, two years ago. Um, <laughs> okay, sorry. Yeah, I mean, that was, it was, the lyrics of the song were the journal entry. Okay. Like in their, the form that you just read them. Yeah. And, you know, I think uh, sometimes sometimes our, our bodies tell us things that our mind doesn't understand yet. Like you shouldn't be sleeping with that person. Yeah. Why do you feel compelled after that experience, which could maybe even be embarrassing, to then write about it and create a poem about it? Do you need because that? Because it was embarrassing. <laughs> but do you need that to get through it? Or because you want to remember it forever? I think the magic trick of songwriting is that our most vulnerable, scary parts of ourselves can become powerful if we mm-hmm. embrace them. It's a magic trick. Yeah. If you say something, if you can sing something confidently, say anything, and it, and it, it looks powerful. I mean, that's kind of covered in line by line, right, in a sense? Yeah, I guess so. To a certain degree, I mean, you cover, you, you essentially, you, you you attach lyrics to direct emotions. and Yeah, and to that, that, song, that song specifically, I Shouldn't Be Here, is a very tangible example of something, a very strong example of something that I try and do and that I believe is meaningful in songs across the board, which is I want to say the thing that is I know is real to me, but if I'm a little bit of afraid to say it, then I know it's real to someone else who's also afraid to say it. Yeah. And that's why this song matters to them, because it brings them closer to a part of themselves that they're afraid of. You know, when I listen to your lyrics, you can like you see exactly what you're talking about. There's a lot of songs you listen to them. I'm like, I don't know what the hell these people are saying, which isn't a bad thing. But when you write, it's like I can picture every single thing he's talking about. Is that something you go for? Is that just naturally happen? Do you kind of have to force yourself into that? No, I want it. I don't want it to feel mysterious. I, I personally, for me, I think going for mystery is kind of sexy lying. Uh, so it's not my jam. But uh, there's certainly a lot of artists who embrace mystery who I, who I respect and love. But it's just not for me. Um, because if it, I, I don't know how to do that without losing myself in it. It, it feels formulated. Uh, so where I have loved art the most is where it feels like it's revealing itself to new revealing itself to you rather than trying to impress something upon you is it hard to have people in your life when you share all of it in song occasionally uh it definitely comes with its nuanced complications but i think every job comes with its professional hazards totally and if the professional hazard of getting to make songs for a living which i get to make songs for a living it's like a it's the coolest thing in the world um is I need to, you know, deal with some emotionally complicated things in my relationships from time to time, then I will I will take that. And, I mean, it has to be healthier when you end up with somebody who just understands. Yeah, I mean, ideally you're able to just talk about things in your relationships anyway. Yeah. Um, hopefully, communication is kind of <laughs> crucial. <laughs> so, and hopefully, you know, you're having conversations with your the people in your life before you're telling those things to however many people in your song. Are you? In most cases. 
I'm trying to. I feel, I mean, it probably takes time. I mean, there are some songs where I'm writing about people that I don't speak to anymore, so I can't really have those conversations. But there has been moments where you're actively writing about, like you're hiding behind a song to communicate something to somebody who's actively in your life. Um, the, I mean, the love songs on this album that I've written in the last two years about Julia, uh, there is certainly nothing in those songs that I don't say to her on a regular basis. Is it hard to share music with her because she is so incredibly skilled herself? Uh, no, actually, it it's uh, the first place where I'd like to get feedback is from Julia because, I mean, I, I live with my favorite songwriter, so I, I lean on her for as much feedback as possible. And she's made, I mean, she made a ton of notes on this album, and I take 98% of them. And, I mean, she she uh, she wrote like that with me. It was fun. Our um, The first single on both of our albums were songs that we wrote together at the very end of our album-making process. What is it like now after you have a relationship working with somebody? It's, I mean, we, we just happen to work really well together. And we are excited about similar parts of songs at the same time, which I think is a huge part of what makes collaborators functional is when you're stoked at the same time. Because if one of you is stoked and the other isn't, that's a... Yeah, that cute. makes for some tension in a session. Uh, but Julie and I, have, we share similar taste, and we have complementary skills, and, and we know how to collaborate, and we know how to communicate, and so much of writing with someone is those like intangible elements of communicating. So it's fun. I love working with her. I wish we, I mean, we do it a lot, and I, I have yet to get tired of it. Is uh, more of you written about Julia? Yes. Why does it freak you out to say I love you? That was early. So we, uh, I wrote that maybe a m- three weeks, a month into our relationship. It was the second song I wrote about her. The first song I wrote about her was Hold It Together. Um, second one was More of You. And it was just, ex- I mean, it was just new and exciting. And it was like, oh, like, I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss. I'm You're sorry. Okay. Um, l- look at this thing that love could be that I never expected it could be. Like, it was just surprising. And it was full of wonder and that lyric is my favorite lyric in the song because it it really did feel like saying I love you to another person after saying it to someone else a long time ago for a long time. It's like, oh, like this is totally different. It was that thing I was talking about earlier with like fitting love into a space that you held for someone else that you have to let go of. Um, and at first it was like, oh, saying I love you to you means something different. And I want to take a second to really let all of that in before I... I let you redefine love for me. And she has continued to every day for almost two years now. So do you communicate that to her in this song or do you have a conversation previous or after or what? Uh, We had a conversation about why I wasn't saying I love you yet um, before I wrote this song. Which, by the way, I think the reason why you're not saying I love you is maybe even more meaningful and impactful than the words I love you. I couldn't agree with you more because it would have been a platitude if I just said it because it was going with the moment. But yep. it was uh, it meant more to me than letting it not be a moment that I fully was in. And not long after writing that song, it was a moment that I wholeheartedly arrived at. Beautiful. I'm jealous a little bit. This is real love. I, I, honestly, I, I you sh- are you in love? No. I highly recommend it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, it's, I'm trying. It's awesome. <laughs> I'm here for it. I, I think I think you're gonna find it. And I sure. think it's going to be, so I, and I think, and I think it's going to be more beautiful than you you could ever concept it to be. Wow, I hope so. I mean, you seem wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. And lovely and heartfelt. 
Sorry, our security guard just fa- feels the need to just every day she just like <laughs> d- obnoxiously waves into the studio, and I felt because you're heartfelt I and loving and kind, <laughs> and who wouldn't want to say it. goodbye to you leaving work? To That's my point, I've just met you, and she sees you every day, and she has the same feelings as I do. You're right, louder. I, this is the energy I need to inject in my veins on a daily basis. Truly, I can come back. Thank you. I mean, or just record it. I'll play it in my ears. I don't. It's I don't, recorded. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, you can play it back. Right, so I'm on a microphone. <laughs> Sorry, my bad. I forgot. <laughs> um, I have a question about kind of related to the Fifth Harmony thing that you turned down. Okay. When you're working on your album now, the one that you just put out or hmm. putting out, depending on when we post this, um, are you working with other artists on their music at the same time, or you guys you say I'm working on me, you guys can wait till later. The only other artists that I've worked on recently are Julia and Sabrina Carpenter. Okay. Other than that, it's just been my own stuff. Cool. Why are they allowed to be worked on? Well, uh, it just happens to be the two people that I've, I've, um, two artists that I've gotten more involved in the project, and I really love both of them and their music. So I was uh, grateful to be a part of both processes. Sabrina Carpenter's amazing. We're big fans. Me I'm too. A, I'm obsessed with her and her parents and her is she she's just an extraordinary human being. She's kind, but she's also talented and a genuine superstar. And yeah. I agree with all of that. Yes. Yeah, it's been really cool working with her. We have some cool songs. That's uh those are two uh good people to allow into the zone. Do you have a studio or do you go to a studio? What do you do? Uh both. I have a studio that's actually my old house that I converted into a studio and Julie and I moved in together. Um, and I go to studios all over the place. And, you know, I I said at the, begin, the beginning of this year that the kinds of sessions I wanted to do were either, first and foremost, on my own stuff because I was still finishing my album. I wanted to get uh, involved in a deeper way on a couple of projects rather than just, like, doing a day at a time. And I wanted to work with anyone who I was a massive, massive fan of. The massive fan of part is starting to open up because as restrictions are lifting, I get to do some more traveling and do some more sessions. But... Those are essentially my rules on who I want to be working with. So when you're not working with somebody who you're like a massive, massive fan of, you want to be involved in more than one song. Well, Sabrina and Julia fit both of those categories. Got it. I'm a massive fan of both of them, and I've been involved on more than one song. Why is that important for you than just doing something for a day and then moving on? Because I think my my goal as a writer, when I work with someone else, is I, I want to write their most personal song. And... When you're going in saying, I'm going to help someone write their most personal song, it, it feels a little, it just doesn't feel right to be like, nah, and we're just going to do one. Why are you the guy to do that? Because that's the kind of music I love to write for myself. Those, those are my favorite songs. I, I'm not going to write every kind of song, and there's a lot of incredible songwriters in the world who can write a lot of incredible songs. And I, I know that when I go in with an artist, like my, my favorite approach is to have a really real conversation and try and try and get their voice into their song the way I like to get mine into mine. Doing it for somebody else is obviously completely different than doing it for yourself. There's a deep level of empathy needed, right? And they have to be able to trust you. And how do you set up a room to be able to create a space that somebody feels comfortable crafting their most personal record ever? I mean, sometimes it does. It works and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. But it's, I mean, songwriting is just talking. And I think... My favorite songs are always the one that come directly out of the conversation. I mean, there's parts of the conversation we've just had that could turn into a song. And usually my my process writing is just to talk for a long time and then like talk for three hours. Do you take notes or what? Nah, I kind of like I'll, I'll remember when someone says something that feels, you know, I, I listen to like the way what they're saying makes me feel. 
And then, you know, you get to a point in the conversation where you say, okay, I think what you've just said might be a bridge. And I think what you said an hour ago when you said this, that feels a little bit like a pre. And that thing that you said like 30 minutes ago, that might be a chorus thought. So let's talk more about that thought. Tell me more. And then you craft it into lyrics? Or do you, what? So to me, there's no, there's no point at which you go, okay, here's everything we've been talking about. How do we make it a song? That's not the approach. It's, Here's everything where we're talking about what did we say that's the verse. Okay. But you still need to craft that into something or do you like or, or the conversation is the conversation is the song. It's it's you take what someone says and you okay, we start with that. Okay. So you would just let's say you're talking to me and Zach and we're writing songs. You would just say what's up? How are you guys doing? What's going on in your life? And we just start talking for 3 hours. Yeah, if we were in a session, I you would be talking more than I am. It's a therapy session. It's essentially what we're doing here to a certain degree. Without the advice. Yes. I don't give suggestions, really. You just listen. <laughs> yeah, and I so- mean, listen, talk. You just talk. You just, you know, talk. You talk about what it feels like to be yourself, and then, you know, you try and bottle a little bit of that up into a song. Do you have to push Julia and Sabrina to be a little more open <laughs> no. and honest in their lyrics? I mean, both of them are incredible songwriters. No, so not not song, not not sure. songwriters like Mm-mm. opening up and being super honest like you are in your. Well, well one, Julia. That's Julia's approach before it's mine. Oh yeah, she wants to kill our exes. Um, yeah, we wrote that together, actually. It's crazy. <laughs> I know, it's weird, right? Strange dynamic of songwriters dating. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that's what they both believe also. So it's it's not so much me bringing my approach to them. It's us having a shared approach that we, we uh, enter together in the studio. What is it like crafting that song with Julia? About All your exes? exes? Yeah. Uh, I'm always hesitant to tell stories about songs that aren't exactly my own, but I will tell you a short story about that one. I was trying to have a conversation with Julie about our relationship. Okay. Um, <laughs> and she didn't like it. She she didn't really like the conversation we were having. And I made a joke. I was like, baby, you can't just live in a world where all my exes are dead. And she goes, we're going to write a song with that line in it. I was like, babe, I'm trying to talk to you. She said, no, no, no. We're writing a song with that line in it. And we did. We still haven't talked about it, though. <laughs> But the song is done. Song is sick. It's one of my favorite songs. <laughs> is that a conversation that needs to finish, or would you rather it just be a dot dot dot? Or Who knows? is it finished? Through I the mean, song? relationships can't be perfect all at one time. Relationships, you are in relationship. It is a constant growing thing. Amen. Gosh, I need love, dude. I I, I recommend. As I've said, I I I recommend it. I don't want to sing myself to sleep for the rest of my life alone. Yeah, yeah ideally not. Keep swiping. Where did that come from? That song is about my mom. Um, my mom died at the beginning of 2020, uh, January 2020. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, so that has been a you know huge part of the last two, three years of my life. And I was saying, you know, the album is the emotions that I was the most present in over the last few years. So that was the hardest song to write on the album, but the one that I knew was most important to be there because... I knew just personally I, it would feel incomplete if I didn't represent that emotion somewhere there. But it took me a long time to write it because I, I didn't know how to bottle up that feeling yet because it was a feeling I didn't really want to look at or have or let my, cause, you know, it's really sad. It's the hardest thing to accept and to process. Yeah. So it happened at like, I mean, there's no good time to have a parent die, but it happened at a strange time because it was right before my EP came out and then I went on tour in Europe and then I got back from Europe and we went right into quarantine 
So there was a lot of like compartmentalization happening. Um, so yeah, I, I took me a long time to write that song and it took a lot of journaling and a lot of writing it the wrong way, but knowing that it would be cathartic for me in some way, because that's how I've always figured out my feelings. Um, not that they're always the point of feelings is to figure them out, but I find if I can, if I can take something really, really painful and create something with some beauty in it, then I can find the beauty a little bit easier in the things in my life that are the most painful. Yeah, it gives a new value to the pain you feel. Yeah. Who do you share the song with first once it's done? I think Julia was the first person I played that song for. I wrote it with um, I wrote it with two people I had never met. Uh, I wrote it with uh, Michael Elizondo and Audra May in Nashville. I'd never even been to Nashville. It was my first trip to Nashville. Same same week we wrote line by line, um, and I mean I'd been journaling so much because I wanted that song to exist, but every time I tried, it just didn't feel like the right emotion. And as I said, it felt disrespectful to my mom to like represent the emotion incorrectly. Like I wanted, I wanted it to feel. I wanted to have something that felt like what I was going through. So I knew that if I ever wanted to enter the part of that feeling that was beautiful and painful and sad and honest, I could go to it in that song without having to go through all the <laughs> the messier parts of it. Mm. Anyway, so I'd been journaling a lot about it and, and I got to that session. I met these two strangers, very kind, lovely strangers. Um, and I was playing one of the synths he had in the studio and Audra said that it sounded kind of like a lullaby. And I said, you know, I've been thinking about writing the song called Sing Myself to Sleep. That would be a lullaby, but about my mom. And then uh, I read some of my journals about it and then the song happened real fast. Well, it needed to happen with two people you didn't know? I think so. I think I think talking about that with my best friends who are my most um, frequent collaborators are my best friends would have been too hard. It's really fascinating that like, yeah, that these two strangers in a place you've never been to houses a song that is the deepest to you and mm -hmm. the most connected and probably has the most weight to it, right? Mm -hmm. I think it does. This album, Dangerous Levels of Introspection, there's a link in the description below. You got to listen to it. Give it your ear because it beyond, beyond, beyond deserves it. How do you measure success right now? Coming off of a song like the one you had in a year? I mean, yeah, dude, this year has ups and downs for everybody, but for you in particular. So how do you look at success and how do you measure it? What is it? It certainly isn't the awards or the numbers because I don't really know how to emotionally internalize those things. Um, I'm aware that my career is in a different place than it was a year ago, but it's hard to look at a stream count and be like, it's working, yeah. <laughs> you know, to feel it. To me, I, I feel it when I'm playing live. I feel it when I'm in a room of 2,000 people singing along, which I haven't done. I, I haven't played If the World Was Ending for more than 1,000 people. Wow. Um, so I think it'll really start to feel concretely real when I am able to start doing shows. But in the meantime, like, I'm just... I'm, I loved that I got to make this album with a lot of time to be really 
detailed and careful and specific with the stories I was telling and the way I was telling them both lyrically and musically. And I don't think I would have been able to do that any other way. So how do I measure success? I'm not quite sure yet, but I'm happy with where today is. And I'm stoked to be in a room full of people when it can feel real and human and we can sing these songs together and I can, you know, there's a DM saying how much the song means to somebody is certainly an incredible feeling, but there's just not, there's nothing like looking someone in the eye and knowing that you're connecting with someone because music is all about connection at the end of the day. Do you know what your first performance is going to be, where it's going to be, what it's going to be? We're touring in the fall. Great. Um, we, we do a couple Canadian dates, then we do... We play the Fonda in L.A. on uh, November 18th, I think, is the L.A. date. Sick. Uh, it's my first ever headline tour. <laughs> so great. Yeah. So, I love the name of it, the Feelings Are Stupid Tour. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I like it, too. It's the name of my company, Feelings Are Stupid, Inc. But, <laughs> but they're not stupid. They're actually money. Uh, there are a lot of things, money being one of them. It, it's not Feelings Are Stupid in like a judgmental way. Like, Feelings Are Stupid. It's Feelings Are Stupid in like a tone of voice of someone having far too many of them like ugh feelings are stupid you know like <laughs> you gotta say it like that yes the ugh is important <laughs> uggs are important to me I think ugh is my second favorite lyric and if the world was ending is when Julie goes ugh it's been a year now it's a very very it's a lot in that ugh there's emotion it really it sets the tone yeah we can do a lot with the ugh hello there beautiful human thanks for listening to our conversation with JP Sachs Be sure to listen to his debut album, Dangerous Levels of Introspection. We appreciate you beyond. Subscribe to our podcast, share with those you care about, and let us know who we should have on the show next at Zach Sang Show on any form of social media. Have an amazing day. Please be safe if you can, hug your family, and don't go to jail. We'll talk to you soon.